0: Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our sermon text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep so that you do not grieve in the same way as the others who have no hope. Indeed, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way, we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. This is God's word. Dear friends, what is the thing without the thing that makes it the thing? What is thanksgiving without giving thanks I was going to say what is Thanksgiving without the turkey what is Thanksgiving without the football what is Thanksgiving without the naps in front of the football but then I realized wait a minute I'm talking to church people they're going to know what the real reason is for thanks what is Thanksgiving without giving thanks let me try it from the other side things that we don't like so much things that aren't so pleasant what's, what's a bee without the stinger Well, I suppose it's just a big fly. What's an army without the arms, or a battle without the battling, or a war without the warring? I'm not sure what the answer is. Maybe a bunch of people running into each other and talking, giving hugs. Maybe it's a party. What's a knuckle sandwich without the knuckles? I suppose it's a sandwich. I don't know. Maybe it's delicious. But the question is, what is the incidental thing without the essential thing that makes it what it is? What is the bark without the bite? What's hype without what it's hyping? And I love thinking about this because St. Paul invites us to think about this today, about death. He invites us to think, what is death without its claim on the soul? On the person, even the body in eternity. What is death without the death? And that's a pretty nice thought, because if that's true, if death has been defeated, if it can't swallow us whole, if it can't keep us forever, if its claim on us is only momentary, and even then, we don't ever really leave the side of the Lord of life Well, then, it's a good thing to think about this last Sunday of the church year. It's a good thing to live and face God's judgment, just as it's a good thing to die and face God's judgment when you know God's judgment is sure, it's eternal, and it's incredible blessings and joy forever with the Lord. And so, that's what today is about. We used to sing this hymn in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941. I wasn't around, but I was nine when we moved away from this hymnal. Hymn 602 said, It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, and midst the brotherhood on high, to be at home with God. It is not death to close the eye long dimmed by tears, and wake in glorious repose to spend eternal years. So, if you have any reservations or resignations at all about death's state in this world of sin, in your condition, well, St. Paul is here to tell you one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and take you home and take you to be with him in life forever, forever. Because in Christ, it is not death to die, it's not ignorant to hope. And it's not the end to end. The reason that we get the words that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians today is rather important. Otherwise, it's subject to a whole lot of misinterpretation. I will get to that a little bit later. But the funerals that the Thessalonians were having were not very Christian. See, Paul didn't get a whole lot of time to tell them about what happens at the end, what's coming, namely Jesus, like a thief in the night, all of the last judgment stuff. And it wasn't because he forgot to tell them, it wasn't because they weren't eager to hear about it or or listen, it's just he got persecuted and had to move on to Berea, if you remember the book of Acts chapter 17 and how his, his travels went on that missionary journey. So they just didn't know, they were uninformed. And without that kind of information, without that kind of intelligence about what's coming, what, what's ahead of the believer, well, they had, a lot of, they had a lot of worry. They had a lot of fear and confusion and they were very disturbed when the older Christians among them turned out they, they died. Wait, we thought Jesus rose from the dead. We thought there wasn't going to be any death anymore. We thought we were going to live forever. So What's going on? And St. Paul wrote these words so that they wouldn't have to sorrow like those who have no hope, grieve like the rest of men. Paul wanted to counteract this kind of grief and sorrow and give them something to hold on to deeply and dearly. And the way that he does this is really just using the words of Jesus when he raised the daughter of Jairus to life. Jesus told her parents, she's not dead, She's only sleeping. And everybody laughed. But that's what the believer thinks and knows. That's how the Bible presents death to us. It's not being callous or careless in its words. It's not not saying death isn't the enemy and the final enemy to be defeated. But it is understanding that the Christian approaches death just as The Christian believer approaches sleep. What comfort that would be to hear that this is only a sleep. What do you know about sleep that's different than death? Well, the Thessalonians knew it too. Sleep was something they knew. Death was unknown. Sleep brings soothing rest. Death brings unspoken fears. Sleep has an obvious waking point. It's temporary. Death, when it seems to claim a soul, would seem to be permanent and forever, and there's no escaping death. You see what a blessing it would have been for the Thessalonians to hear what St. Paul had to write to them. And I want to show you that connection. He didn't want them to be ignorant, to not know, because what would happen? if he told them something they didn't know, especially about life and death. It would bring them hope. It would bring them comfort. It would bring peace to their souls. And that's true. That's true about every time Christians go back to the Bible and get new information, when our eyes and our ears are open to what God has to say careful, you might get more comfort, you might get more peace, you might get more hope. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. And as you look back at the church I here, hope, I hope that, w- this is the non-biblical hope, I hope that when you look back and you see these opportunities that you've been given to hear God's word perhaps at our 9 a.m. hour with adult Bible study Sunday school, um, we've had stints of Luther's, Euthers. we have another one coming up, the catechism class, the all- Important challenge of figuring out how we're going to schedule these children from five or six different school districts to be in our catechism class—that we we fight week in and week out as pastor, parents, and children. Well, I hope that the congregation here at Bethlehem has figured something out, has learned some things that give each and every one of us hope and comfort and peace. I hope that it's been midweek Bible studies. I hope it's been the ladies' group that we've started in the last couple years. I hope it's Advent by Candlelight and some of these other chances, these random chances that come into your schedule. Hopefully, you've had an opportunity, not the least of which would be family devotions, an opportunity to go and study the Bible on your own in your quiet time. Well, if you're a sinner like me, you know that there are times when you have closed your ears to God's word and shut your eyes. You've heard the word of God and gladly learned it, and then there was all those other times. All the sin when we despised preaching and his word. Yet the word doesn't depend on our hearing even though we may have lost chances to receive not just God's word, but in it, packaged in it, hope and comfort and joy and peace, Jesus still speaks to us even now at the end of a church year to give you hope and comfort and joy. All these essentials about what happens with death and life. It's so key and so clutch for us to know the Lord of life and how he still loves us and still speaks to us the very words of forgiveness that cover over the sins when we shut our ears to what he had to say before. And when we sing that song, "O oh Lord, open my lips," he answers it. He speaks to the coffin, that is my sinful heart. And he opens it just like he opened the empty tomb at Easter, and he says, "Here's some more comfort. Here's some more joy." Here's some more hope. And not just the kind of hope that's like a guess. It's like, I hope it doesn't rain too much today. I hope that goes away. I hope it doesn't get too cold this coming December. I hope it doesn't freeze the pipes like it did last year at church. So we have to open all kinds of things up and wring our hands in hope, or better, pray. No, this, this is a sure and a certain hope. An anchor for our souls, says the writer. To the Hebrews. This is a good kind of hope. When God's word speaks it and believers believe it, that's a good combination, brothers and sisters. It's what the Thessalonians needed because when they heard about this death of Jesus that declares an empty death and a resurrection that opens up a whole graveyard of tombs throughout all the world to all who might believe, it is not death to die. And that means it is not grief to grieve. We don't take these words to mean that Christians never have tears, never cry. That's a pretty easy one. I think most of us know the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus himself wept. But believers don't weep like those who have no hope. We have that sure and certain hope that says, I grieve for now. But when I give up a brother, When I give up a husband, when I give up a grandma, there is so much more hope. It's that forward-thinking part of faith that says, I know eternal blessings are to come. And I already hold them in some measure in my hand. It's not ignorant to hope, and the end is not the end. Look at some of the other things that Paul says in this, that Jesus will not return in secret. It's going to be loud, it's going to be majestic. Did you hear that? He says, In fact, we tell you this by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not go on ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. At his coming, Jesus would first raise the dead and then those who are alive would be taken with him forever. You might say caught up or even raptured. That's the word. If the Thessalonians were nervous about the dead who went ahead of them, they were assured of safety and eternal safety at that in the end. Well, you think the angels at Christmas are something when they wow the shepherds with this great cohort that calls out and praises God and glorifies his name. That's the Gloria that we often sing towards the beginning of our services. If you thought that was intimidating as the shepherds cowered at night and quaked with fear, think about it when it's multiplied times 100 with the captain and king at their head, Jesus Christ himself, to come and say to believers, the end is not the end. In fact, heavenly blessings and joys are continuous. They're perpetual. They're uninterrupted. And they are only the beginning. That's right. Losing a sister, losing a friend, losing someone close to you is only the beginning. Especially for them. They got a chance to go ahead of you. And that's really all he's saying with, with the word for getting caught up in the air. Now to handle a popular interpretation of this some say well based on what we just read it's the believers who are going to get caught up in heaven and then maybe there will be seven years of tribulation while the unbelievers are here they get those extra years of a time of grace to repent and then Jesus will come back or maybe a thousand years after that Jesus will come back or maybe there's multiple returns of Jesus or maybe there's a silent coming of Jesus people get pretty mythic about this kind of thing It's pretty nice to be a a millennialist Lutheran because, and I know this is sort of primping the Lutheran faith, but I really believe that it's reading the Bible off the page, reading the Word of God and saying, look, we don't have to map out all the details. It's okay to sometimes not understand the mysterious return of God. There are some great blessings in chasing this stuff, but we also don't have to put our interpretation into it and make more out of it than it really is. Once there was a church where this happened, there, were, there was a group of believers who were, some were post-millennial and some were pre-millennial. I'll let you look that up later if you're not sure what that means. I've already alluded to it. And then among the pre-millennials, there were some post-tribulationists and some pre-tribulationists, and some brought in the new idea of mid-tribulationists, and they were all arguing and fighting about what exactly is going to happen at the end. This is a true story. And then in the corner, there was a believer and his friend who were talking to each other. The friend also happened to be my friend. And the one believer in the corner, he said, you know what? I'm a pan-millennialist. And his friend who was also my friend turned to that person with a quizzical look and then braced himself for yet another interpretation of what's coming at the end he said i believe that uh, i'm a panmillennialist i believe that it's all going to pan out in the end so just trust in jesus christ that's pretty good because if you look at this it's if you look very carefully in context who is left behind doesn't say anything about unbelievers in this text just believers who have not yet died are left behind and believers who have already died they'll get a chance to go first there's no cutting in line that's all but no matter who you are trusting in Jesus it is all going to pan out that's not half bad in fact it's pretty good when you think about it this way what's death without the death well it's kind of like a graveyard without any unmarked bodies. It's like a specially marked tomb that was supposed to have this great teacher who failed, but instead it was empty, and he was far more than a great teacher. He was the Savior and the firstborn of the resurrection and the ruler of the kings of the earth, the God of all and the Son of Man of Daniel 7, the one who receives the kingdom according to his human nature in time at his exaltation, the one who lived and loved and loved perfectly because he lived perfectly and then he died innocently on your behalf and then was raised and still is raised in your hearts with this truth that the end is not the end, that grief is not grief and it is not death to die. May that be the sure and certain hope an anchor of your souls today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. (laughs)